This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Chelsea take the crisis baton, defeat on a pudding of a pitch at St Mary's against Ralph's sprightly young pups. Leaves Tuchel in a pickle. Also, Everton time-wasting from the 23rd minute at Leeds. But they get a point. Anthony Gordon might not be 60 million good, but he is good. Fulham are also good, better than anyone expected, as they beat were good until last night Brighton. Meanwhile, Wilf Zaha is very sad about Palace, letting in a late equaliser at home to Brentford. Was it worth spending all that time working out Scott Parker's military rank? He sacked after losing three and four. Harsh or the right thing for the Bournemouth project after his post-match comments after the 9-0 at Anfield? Tony Mowbray's gone to Sunderland. There's buckets of transfer news as the window edges closer to slamming shut. All that, plus Crows cancelling matches. Which doctors? Your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, national treasure Robin Cowan. Welcome. Please, please. Do you want me to to stop with that? (laughs) I've done nothing, literally nothing. (laughs) You're right. Good for nothing, Robin Cowan. Welcome to (laughs) the podcast. Paul McInnes, hello. Good morning. Good morning, Max. And good morning, Barry Glendenning. Hi, Max. How are you? Uh, Let's start at St. Mary's in Southampton 2, Chelsea 1. Bob says, have Chelsea managed to spend... Three hundred million pounds plus and become worse. Uh, Paul, what did you make of this match? Um, I think they didn't look. There's just something sort of uh, on the fringes of shambolic a bit about Chelsea so far this season, in that they they don't seem cohesive, do they? Um, but I, I think in terms of the three hundred million pounds spent, the most obvious. Uh, uh, aspects of that spending in the team, Cucciarello and Sterling have been actually two of their most consistent players, I think, and, and have, have made a positive impact. I thought um, uh, Sterling took his goal very well, was unlucky not to score more, but they are a bit raggedy around the edges. And, and I guess um, Kalidou Koulibaly has not had the best start to his Chelsea career, by contrast. But I, I, th- I think in, on, on the day, this was something where, you know, Southampton had a challenge to reproduce the performance they've managed against Manchester United, if not the result, to show that they are developing as young players. I think there's only three players in that team who were over 25 and they managed to do it. You know, I think a lot of the narrative around Southampton is that they sort of hit a wall or they were somehow kind of uh, struggling to hit a reasonable level. But I think it's it's more an issue of consistency with them that they can perform very well on occasions or even for stretches, but can't maintain it over months. Um, and this was an, a short example of them being able to reproduce good form and it got them the result that they deserved, I think. Uh, first time they've beaten Chelsea at St Mary's since 2013. General Vibe says, can you just mention how brilliantly Saints have done in the market for these young players? Um, as Philippe mentioned on the last pod, some really good youngsters and Joe Arrivo, Armel Belakotchap, which is the player who sounds most like ketchup, which isn't important, but it's nice to hear said out loud. It looks good at the back. I mean, they look excellent, Robin, don't they? They do. And actually, the, the one player is, is Lavia, who scored a really good goal. But um, I mean, I, I did their first game against Spurs and he really stood out, even though they, they ended up on a 4-1 defeat. He's 18 and he looks... I mean, you'd expect him to be technically proficient because they've got him from Manchester City, but he just seems to always make the right decisions. And it looks like they're going to let Oriol Romeo go, 
who's been there for ages and ages. So he's kind of taken up the mantle. So I think Paul said it. I mean, they are going to have bad runs and they do. They're a really streaky team. And then they have these, pull out these really good results. And yeah, just Ralph Hasenhoodle has the, the whole gamut of emotions during his time as Southampton manager. But I, I didn't watch the whole of this game, but I just turned it on at the end. And it just, Chelsea looked desperate. They were like pumping balls into the box and Southampton were really relishing, like clearing everything. And yeah, just something doesn't seem quite right in the Chelsea front. I wondered, Barry, if because Chelsea did play really well, I thought, for the first 20 minutes or so. And I thought if the pitch had been better, I reckon they might have scored more. I don't know if that's like a sort of, if I've become Thomas Tuchel, it's the sort of thing a manager <laughs> would say at the end. But that pitch is terrible, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure why. I, I just noticed it on uh, Saturday when Manchester United were down there. I presume there's a good reason for it, but I, I don't know. what is, is there a hose pipe ban down in the South Coast or something? Or is the water so full of human excrement that it would be dangerous <laughs> and unhealthy to <laughs> spray it on the pitch? I'm not sure if this is a joke, but Adam Blackmore, who's the sports editor at um, Radio Solent, said... There's some sort of disease slash fungus type problem that's making it look bad while it's being treated. But enough about him. What about the pitch? <laughs> that, I mean, that can't be a joke. It's not a very good joke, is it? It's quite well, a serious I, science-y, I, it's quite a seriously sciencey joke, isn't it? I wouldn't open with it. As well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just seems a bit odd. Um, you just you don't see those pitches really in the Premier League. It's kind of odd to see. It's interesting. Um, uh, you mentioned Koulibaly, Paul, not having a brilliant game and he got sent off the other day and I saw someone tweeting Barry and I can't remember who it was so I, I can't credit them saying Lissandro Martinez actually played really well in that game but because Koulibaly's tall we aren't going to spend you know the next few days saying he can't hack it in the Premier League um, uh, He hasn't got off to a particularly good start but he is a class act and I'd be surprised if he doesn't adapt reasonably quickly I mean Thomas Tuchel was asked after the game if, if he needed a striker you know, and he he sort of swatted the question aside and, and said, as a team, we're not strong enough at the moment. It's too easy to push us up off track. We need to just toughen up. And I think he's right, because if, if you look at who played up front for them at various points last night, there's Havertz, Sterling, Ziyech, Broya, Pulisic. You've a lot of scamperers, and in Broya, you've got a, a big target man. So they've kind of got all the bases covered. I just think they need a... Like, who who's the alpha male there? Who's going to seize the team and, and a game by the scruff of the neck and, and be the Alexander Mitrovic or, you know, the dominant figure? And they, they don't seem to have one. I mean, there's talk now that they might get Will Zaha and maybe he could fulfil that role. I don't know. I think there's also an issue, isn't there, of would you not think of sort of uncertainty, really, despite the takeover, despite... You know, the fact that they're, they're very much showing everybody in Europe that they have a lot of money still to spend. There's a sense that the best of the defence is being picked off. What does that say about Chelsea's ambitions? And then you've got players like, I mean, Havertz, I, I like him. I think, you know, actually that's the most condescending thing. He's obviously a quality player, and but, it, but he's not a number nine. He's sort of playing out of position... And you have the false nine, you then need to create a system around him to make that work. Are they going to do that? I don't know. Sayech was out there again last night. Is he really wanted by the club? Probably not, because he hasn't proven it really. Then you've got Pulisic, who is obviously unhappy. 
coming off the bench. There's a lot of different you know, highly paid uh, elite athletes in that squad who are probably all, for various different reasons, looking around going, uh, what's what's happening right now? And I, and I kind of feel like almost you know, a, a reset. That's why I kind of almost feel like Anthony Gordon's not a bad idea because the price may be awful, but he is somebody that you can build, start building a new team. But it does bring us back to to what Hasenhüttl was doing, which is developing a squad, to the Scott Parker thing and being a development coach. Like, you know, as a Chelsea manager, you don't get time to develop a team. And that may be also part of Tuchel's problem. But you sort of think maybe it'd be good if a manager could get really good players and then improve them, not just not quite as good players and improve them. And I guess if you are those attacking midfielders, then you're going, why do they want Anthony Gordon? Like, I'm basically him, but I've been here already. If you're like Hudson and Doy, I think it's gone away, or, or Ziet or Pulisic. I, I wondered, Robin, if because I thought Brozier looked really good for Southampton. And he, and he has actually, as Barry's, Barry wants an alpha male up there. He, you know, he's pretty <laughs> alpha, isn't he? Yeah, he's probably out, out of all of the, the ones Barry mentioned. You've gone full soonest, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Never go full soonest. It was always a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, he's great. And also, you know, you've got the likes of Conor Gallagher, who was really good last season. But they, I don't know, something about they come back to Chelsea and it just doesn't quite work. I'd like to see them, especially Breuer, I'd really like to see him being given a proper go. But I just, I don't know, it's like, yeah, as Paul said, like Ziyech and Pulisic clearly not wanted by Tuchel. He doesn't, doesn't fancy them. And uh, when he came in, they obviously, he, he shored them up, didn't he? Because under Lampard, they were conceding too many goals and he was very successful there. But he just hasn't, since then, he hasn't really taken them on. And yeah, he just doesn't seem to trust his attacking options, which is an issue. I suppose if you look, you're missing Kante, you're missing Reese James, there yeah. are, uh, you know, there are sort of, explanations for why perhaps it, it didn't work out. Um, Christopher says, just to say, Max, your perpetual belief in Timo Werner racking up the goals has eventually come to fruition. Just at the wrong club in the wrong league during the wrong year. He's got a first half hat-trick for RB Leipzig in an 8-0 win in the cup against FC Teutonia Ottensen, which is not a team uh, I'm, I was aware of before. So I presume they're not second in the Bundesliga. <laughs> um, uh, Chelsea have released Ross Barkley as well. Um Ross Barkley's got an interesting case study, isn't he, Barry? Like, is it is it similar to to Deli Ali? Got Johnny Lou on the pod tomorrow. Wrote a great article about Deli Ali. We'll talk to him about that. But just wonder if you sort of if Ross Barkley is in a sort of similar vibe. Yeah, I, I suppose I wouldn't have him in the same bracket because Deli Ali just seems to have completely and utterly lost his mojo, whereas Ross Barkley. If he's on the pitch, you still think you might get uh, this, you know, brilliant pass, or he might spank one in for thirty-five yards in a way that I don't expect anything from Delhi Ali anymore. Such is the manner in which his his form has bottomed out. Now, clearly, he can still play football. <laughs> that is obviously hugely talented, but he it seems to be incapable of delivering. But um. Yeah, what age is Barkley? Still quite young, isn't he? Or is he? I In my no mind, idea. he's like 22, but he's probably 29, isn't he, or something now? What do you reckon? 28. 28, right. Yeah, so they're of a similar vintage, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know. It'll be interesting to see who, if anyone, picks them up. Yeah, rumours of, of Rangers, perhaps, going for them, uh, trying to get some 
uh, inverted commas, stardust as they enter the Champions League. You and Murray on the pod tomorrow as well to uh, do a bit of fit bar. Um, Leeds won, Everton won. Um, Tim says, will Everton ever win a game again? Frank Lampard's side still in search of their first win of the season. Felt to me that this was a really good game, Paul, and one that could have gone either way. Probably a fair result. Both sides coming off the pitch thinking they could and should have won it. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was a good game. I, I, I don't think it was like technically that at that higher level, but the the um, tactically and physically, it really was. Um, both teams gave no quarter. Leeds were going at you know 135 miles an hour. Everton were going at. 40 miles an hour by comparison for a lot of it. But while it looked for a period in the opening where they, you know, that was like, uh, you're going to get completely overrun here, lads, actually turned out to be a reasonably effective tactic, which, you know, they got the ball up the, up the pitch quickly, won a lot of second balls and, uh, you know, forced leads quite a lot of the time into giving away possession. So they got lucky with their goal. I think the ball goes through Forshaw's legs before it comes to, comes to Gordon. Um, but they were also really unlucky with the Damari Gray potential second, which I, from my uh, decrepit eyes, you know, even with lines being drawn, it looked like he was onside. Um, Leeds, meanwhile, you know, continue to show that they are willing to or, and able to play Marsh's game. But Aronson continues to be, you know, a, a really impressive signing. Sinistera took his goal very well. I was thinking about this before the pod, whether I should say anything positive about Frank Lampard's Everton when they've only got three points on the ball. But I, I don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're that bad. Is that it? I mean, that's, that's it. I just, yeah, I just, <laughs> I imagine know. Frank Lampard was hoping for a little more when you built okay. that up. Oh, well, I mean, I, 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 you know, I think he's reshaped. I think the midfield looks with, with Awobi and Anana in there. It's got athleticism and, and technical ability. I think that's better than what they had. I think defensively, they look okay. Um, I think they they, they look organised. Yeah, they need they need that striker. They need that that focal point. I think as much as anything else, somebody they can kind of build a play around. But when you are when you have Dominic Calvert Lewin, you know that's what you want. It's the question as to whether when he comes back, he stays back. Um, but I, I you know I I don't think it will be too long before they get a win. And I, I while I can see them in the relegation mix, I wouldn't have put them as favourites to go down. Is that any better? That Frank Lampard's going to just say, he's going to say, lads, we're not that bad. (laughs) Churchillian. (laughs) Fortunately, I don't have to be in anybody's dressing room trying to motivate individuals. (laughs) I thought it was interesting watching Anthony Gordon, Robin, because now as soon as 60 million is mentioned, then instantly you go, Anthony Gordon is... He's not 60 million. He's therefore rubbish. And it isn't true, is it? I mean, he took his goal really well. He's clearly like an incredible talent. And I, I mean, I, lots of people have had lots of things to say about him. It seems so sensible if he stays where he is and plays week in, week out. And, and you know, he's got that affinity with the fans as well. And, you know, even that man who hugged him and dropped his child. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't want his child back at the end. Yeah, that that was um, that was negligent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. Like, I really going to Chelsea, I f- you feel like really would be a bad decision for his career at this moment in time. But it's interesting the psychology of being wanted by other clubs because some players sort of it, they let it really affect them, or they kick off like Fafana and just don't make it kind of impossible for them to be picked. Whereas he seems to have just got better, so it's kind of given him a lot of confidence that a big club has wanted him. Yeah, the only thing I would question is he's got proper '90s um, frosted tips, isn't he? Is that, mm. that was, that's like a, that was a big thing, wasn't it? The kind of um, bleached blonde hair. 
I don't mind it. You know, it's a bit of a throwback to, to my childhood. So, but it's all right. But it is a football star's haircut he's got himself now, isn't it? It's not just, I mean, when you saw him last year, it was just normal, normal teenager's haircut. Now it's football star's haircut. And you're like, all right, mate. Yes, you've, somebody said, you've, you've decided to upgrade yourself. Oh, yeah. Phil Jones did that, didn't he? Phil Jones, when he moved from Blackburn to Man U, he, um, he got frosted dyed tips. his hair, didn't he? That's a good lesson for anybody not to do it then. <laughs> I have seen um, several memes uh, on, on social media likening Anthony Gordon's hairstyle to uh, that of Lady Diana back in the 1980s. <laughs> Which I think is rather on time. <laughs> it's quite the comparison. Um, Leeds... You know, Brendan Aronson, who we have talked about a bit, Tyler Adams as well, and Jesse Marsh, between them, Barry, sort of really ending the pod's anti-US agenda. It's very hard to maintain this agenda when certainly those two players are, are just so exciting to watch. Yeah, I I thought a draw was probably a fair result here, but I thought Leeds edged it and, and deserved to win. This is the game I, I focused on most last night because I, I just like watching Leeds play. Um even now Marcelo Bielsa is gone, they're still a very attractive team to watch and that's uh, hats off to, to Jesse Marsh for that. And Brendan Aronson has been outstanding for them so far this season. He, hugely impressive, I must confess. I had no idea who he was when, when they signed him. Like many players that come to the Premier League, I don't know much about them. <laughs> don't have to go and Google them and look them up on Wikipedia or whatever. Uh, and he was one of them. But he's, he's slotted in brilliantly, he moves the ball really quickly, was pivotal in setting up uh, Sinistera's goal. And interestingly, Sinistre is uh, the Latin for left-handed, because uh, us lefties are considered, you know, sinister, uh, or used to be. And uh, he scored that with his left foot. And what a fine strike it was. It was. Um, thanks for the education. Barry, I'm slightly worried about how good Adams and Aronson will be against England in the World Cup. So I get nervous about being done by the US. Danny says, of all the shithousing performances, was that the biggest ever from Everton? 65 seconds to take a goal kick on the 22 minutes. Jose says, I'm an Everton fan, and even I want to know how they got away with that much time wasting. Um, Jesse Marsh was not a fan, and also deeply unhappy that the ref blew up with five seconds to go before the allotted minimum of three minutes. And Frank Lampard said they became obsessed with the timing. The time wasting of Everton was rent free in Jesse Marsh's head. Anyway, actually, the thing about time wasting, I wrote an article about injury time and how I really don't think you should stop the clock because, A, some football matches, like last year, I think West Ham, Brentford, the ball was only in play for 44 minutes. If you made that 60, it would go on forever. And also, <laughs> injury time is like, I love injury time. Like, I think it's a really key moment of football, like when the board goes up and then you just go, how long? Where's he got that from? And and like psychologically for players to have to go, oh shit, we've got another six minutes. I don't know if anyone else has any strong feelings about it. I mean, there is a lot of time wasting. Like I think they did a thing in 2018 World Cup. Refs should add on about twice as much. The board should be at least sort of 11 minutes at the end or 13 minutes. I don't know if you have strong feelings, Robin. <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I agree with you totally. It's the... It, the heightened emotion when the board goes up and everyone, everyone's upset, it seems. Um, and yeah, you get this poetry, like, well, I'll go back to the the Euro final with England's women, the way they kept it in the corner. I just love that. You know, you get you get those moments and you get, yeah, and you get some really good shithousery. I know it wasn't in the, um, 
I don't think it was in stoppage time, wasn't it? But Richarlison, you know, time wasting and then getting absolutely poleaxed by a couple of players. It's these these little moments that mm. just just make everything a little bit more interesting. I mean, I guess those things would still happen if there was a countdown clock. But I was just think in rugby, I always hate that bit where they just boot it out. You know, you know the end before mm. the end. NFL when they just sit on the ball. Anyway, I don't know if anyone else cares at all. I think my favourite bit of that article you wrote, Max, was the manner in which you used Manchester United as an example and then got attacked and abused by a mob of <laughs> uh, frothing uh, Manchester United fans. <laughs> because I'd never written about time-wasting until Manchester United got the chance to time-waste. You're right. Uh, let's do one more game before we end part one. Fulham 2, Brighton 1. Um Fulham, Paula, really surprised me. I mean, I had relegated Southampton and Fulham, so my prediction's not looking <laughs> really going to stick out for them. But um, so impressed with Fulham and so impressed with Mitrovic because it's not just the goals, but his all-round game. Like he's a, he's, He seems slow but can beat people. He's, he's a, just a joy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say he's a... I wouldn't, that's not the word I would use to describe him. I think a pain <laughs> for the opposition. I mean, he, he just... He, he is... He, you know, obviously he inflicts physical pain on, on, on people because he can bully them that way. But I think he's just, he's just naughty. He's cheeky. He's smart. You know, I think his goal, uh, last night, I think was, you know, came from a miscued shot. I think the Cabano cross was incredible, which makes me think it was a, a mistake. But he was there and he read it and, and that was, you know, real game intelligence and then he's got all the intelligence around the game to kind of you know slow things down or speed things up or win the foul or whatever you know he he broke the record the goal scoring record in the championship last season and he's got a point to prove and I think Marco Silva I from what little experience I've had of Marco Silva I kind of feel like the two of them might be on the same wavelength that the kind of you know the world's against us we can go out there and prove everybody wrong and he's on that you know, three teams have to get relegated at the end of this season as usual. And I don't think Fulham can say that they're not going to be part of that mix, but they've definitely started the season well. And the striking thing about them is at the minute is they don't give up many chances. You know, Brighton, I think, had the, the higher XG quite substantially last night. But but really, Fulham, uh, their problem was more creating chances for themselves than than keeping the opponents at bay. So I, I kind of feel, you know, that these are the sorts of points you want to get on the board early doors because you want to keep the momentum going as a promoted side and tougher times will come. But at the minute, they're, they're looking highly capable in this division. Uh, Graham Potter said his side weren't good enough. Uh, ends their nine-game unbeaten run in the Premier League if you can count runs that go from the end of one season to the start of another. But I reckon, Robbie, that must be so infuriating if you're Graham Potter. You've started so well. And if you want to, if you want to push on... This isn't the game to lose, is it? No, but it's, I don't know how many times we can say they are really good, but they don't score enough goals. I did their game against Leeds and they were the better side for like most of it. And they could have had way more than they did. They're a really good team to watch as well. And yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. This They're going to have tougher tests. And yeah, this, this would have been really annoying. I think obviously the Lewis Duncombe goal kind of, made it really, really difficult for them. But I've got to say, I totally agree with Paul. Like, there's so many things I like about this Fulham side. Marco Silva was, you know, tarred with the kind of fraud brush, wasn't he, With when he was at sort of Everton. And um, they've got a really settled 11 already. And they've got... He's also, unlike previous managers, 
They've got Tim Ream, who's usually put back into storage from the Premier League and then brought back out again when they're in the Championship. Niskan's Cabano the same. And, yeah, with, with Mitrovic, everyone was just assuming you're just a Championship, you're, you're in that, is it the Robert Snodgrass vortex that you, you said that he's not quite good enough for the Premier League? And he clearly is. Um, and so, yeah, again, not a great week for Scott Parker, who had no faith in him, basically, mm. in the Premier League for Fulham mm. two seasons ago. I'm not sure that's quite what the Robert Snodgrass vortex is, is it? It's, oh, what was that? I think the Snodgrass vortex is more a, where is Robert Snodgrass now? <laughs> you kind of move around from lower-end Premier League teams to upper-end Championship teams, and no one's ever quite sure where you're playing. I think I think he's at Luton at the moment. Or was it like Cameron Jerome, yeah, someone like that? Cameron Jerome... Uh, zone. zone zone would work wouldn't yeah. it the Cameron Jerome gotcha. zone interestingly Robert the, the the current vortex that Robert Snodgrass is in I believe is right next to the Cameron Jerome zone because they are if Cameron Jerome's still at Luton they're both at Luton so they're, they're getting their money's worth aren't they just to touch on what Robin said about Tim Ream there I, I owe him an apology because I said in our season preview that he just wasn't good enough to play at this level but he's unrecognisable for the from the Tim Ream that was last in the Premiership. He's you know strong, confident, assured, and and looks really really impressive. So uh, I apologise, Tim. I, I mean, I think we really the pair of us should apologise. I think I believe having a Tim Ream became a phrase, <laughs> and uh, that means something entirely different at the moment. Maybe it's having a Koulibaly right now. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, uh, we'll begin with Wilfred Zaha and we'll discuss Scott Parker being sacked by Bournemouth. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so Palace won, Brentford won. Uh, this game was all about Wilfred Zaha, wasn't it, Barry? And that goal is brilliant. And then his sort of devastation afterwards was, um, he was just so full of emotion. He looked like he was almost about to cry. Yeah, the duel he had with Aaron Hickey was fascinating. And he ultimately, I suppose, got the better of it. We took him on and, and curled on into the top corner. There wasn't a huge amount Hickey could do about it, I suppose. And then after the game, he he was looked absolutely devastated and uh, said, as soon as we went in the lead, we just started to defend. I don't see why we do that. 
if we just continue pressing on, I feel like we could have got a second goal and it ends the game. I feel like we've killed ourselves in the end. And he's bang on there in that assessment. I mean, I know it is kind of natural for teams to increasingly sit back when they've got a goal lead. But Patrick Vieira, not for the first time, made some, you know, he switched to a back five, brought on some more defensive players. And this was at a time when Palace were very much on the front foot and, and given Brentford the runaround. Um, and then those changes allowed Brentford back into the game. They scored a late equaliser and missed two excellent chances in the at the death. So probably both teams would feel they should have won for, for entirely different reasons. Some people were saying Patrick Vera might not be happy with Zaha after the game saying those things, but it's just sort of pure honest emotion, isn't it? I mean, it, it wasn't great for Scott Parker to, to, to do that, I guess. I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it is a good thing for him to be doing um, because it does sound like it could be a, a critique of the manager's tactics. I mean, if he's been authorised to go and say that sort of stuff as a leading figure in the dressing room, that's one thing. But if not, then it makes it sound like he feels he feels the manager should have made another choice and that's probably not something you should be saying in public i um, i was uh, watching the highlights of this this morning and on some crystal palace channel and they were saying you know this goal could be his you know leaving presence to the club and i was like oh what is he being linked again and so arsenal and both arsenal and chelsea being then vieira asked about it after the game so you know this isn't wouldn't be unusual for there to be a bit of disgruntlement inside Wilf Zaha ahead of the end of a transfer window. Um, and, you know, I think having Wilf on side and fully plugged in is really important for Crystal, still really important for Crystal Palace. I'm a little bit worried about them, actually. Yeah, having changed my fantasy team uh, to include as many Crystal Palace players as I could after listening to the Football Weekly season preview podcast, uh, I've had to dump them all for a lack of points return. But also, I just feel like... The team is set up a bit. They've got a good back four. But the midfield in front of them, I think, is weaker than than last season. Obviously, Eze is a great player, but he's playing centrally. I'm not sure he gives as much going backwards as he gives going forwards. You've got Jeffrey Schlopp in there, who's great energy. But again, you know, formerly a, a winger, really. Then the kind of attacking players still don't really have a striker who you can rely upon up there. They haven't kept a clean sheet all season. They're, you know, their, their performances have been all right. But if they can't tighten up at the back... Uh, I think I think that could, it could be a longer season for Palace than than, than we than we initially thought. Wow, blimey! Uh, um, uh, you can't blame Zaha for wanting a stint somewhere else, Robin. Can you? I mean, it didn't work at Manchester United, unless I'm completely misremembering him going to Manchester United. But I think he did for a he short did. amount of time. <laughs> he he was Sir Alex Ferguson's last ever signing for Manchester United, right? And then he spent a year there, and apparently it didn't work out, and he was. You know, there were constant reports that he was homesick. He missed London. He was a lot younger yeah. then, wasn't he? The bright lights, of course. Yeah, he was. And like, even though he should always wear a Crystal Palace shirt in the same way that I, I kind of, when I'm watching Everton, I kind of want James Tarkovsky to be wearing a Burnley <laughs> yeah. shirt and Conor Cody a Wolf shirt, even if they're playing for Everton. <laughs> like, you can't blame Zaha thinking, I've probably got one last stint. Uh, you know, if he did go to Chelsea, he'd be in the Champions League and, and that would be a great opportunity for him. It's true. I just feel really sorry for Palace and whatever manager is there. Every single transfer window, this is, and and I just feel like he won't leave. He'll he'll end up staying there, being a sort of one club man, you know, apart from little stints elsewhere. 
be the most reluctant <laughs> sort of hero of the club. I mean, I'm not sure if that all the all the times he's wanted away might damage his reputation slightly, but yeah, it just seems like every single transfer window, and it just never quite comes to fruition. I, I don't know what his contract situation is because that seems to have been a bit of a factor that people didn't want. It was a bit expensive for for some people. I think for him, it would be good to see him in the Champions League and and things like that, but. I just have a feeling it's just not going to happen. He's, he'll be at Palace forever. I think he's in the final year of his contract. and Okay, that changes things a bit, doesn't it? And and Patrick Vera was asked about him last night if to, if he'd be leaving in the window. And I can't remember the exact quote, but it was along the lines of a quite cryptic reply. That there's what I want, there's what the chairman wants, and there's what Wilfred wants. So, you know, <laughs> I got the vibe he'll be off. If if someone makes a decent offer, didn't sound that cryptic to me. Uh, five games tonight. Uh, we'll cover them on the pod tomorrow. Barry, before we stop on the Premier League, you owe Trent Alexander-Arnold an apology. His shot did not take a deflection. Oh, and some Liverpool fans, of course, it was because of your agenda. Uh, absolutely no, it was for the exact reason I outlined before we started analysing the game. Nine goals is too many. I can't possibly be remembered to. <laughs> Uh, expected to remember them all and uh, apologies Trent for misremembering your your fine strike um, John says if a group captain wasn't enough for Bournemouth do they need an air commodore which unemployed manager could handle the rank Matthew Stanger's tweet saying Scott Parker's cardigan cost him £4.58 for every minute he wore it on the touchline um, and before we actually analyse seriously Scott Parker being sacked, Sam said, not a question. Please advise the panel that Scott Parker's sacking has little to do with results and to watch Mark McAdam on Sky Sports News before passing half-baked opinion at a glance judgments on today's decision from Bournemouth. So uh, pressure on, Robin. Make sure this isn't half-baked at a glance, <laughs> your views on Scott Parker's dismissal. Yeah, well, that I did watch that. It was a really good analysis. I think I think generally now people have realised that it's not to do with the results, even though obviously they haven't been great. But to, for a newly promoted club to play Arsenal, Manchester City, and Liverpool, and won their first game against Aston Villa, which by the way is really damning on them. Um, yeah. Clearly, it's mainly down to what he said after the game, and it seems like what he's been saying in the lead up to this season and generally it's it sounds like it's a really quite negative atmosphere and <laughs> someone just said that he he basically said back me or sack me and they've uh, they decided on the latter i don't think it, it bodes very well in terms of bournemouth season because clearly he's asking for help and wanting more recruits and they've basically said no i imagine they might sign a couple more players between now and the transfer deadline but it doesn't sound like they're that interested in breaking the bank to try and keep them up. So I, it just means that I'm not sure how attractive this job is going to be for any sort of potential new managers, that's all. Yeah, Barney Ronnie's piece saying, look, the good news for Scott Parker is that Bournemouth's owners agree with him. The club are indeed ill-equipped for the Premier League. The bad news for Scott Parker is that they now decided the most easily replaced piece of equipment is Scott Parker himself. <laughs> um, what, what, what do you make of it, Paul? Yeah, I... I was somebody who used to be quite strong on him. I thought I liked the way he uh, brought Fulham back up and the, the sort of signings he made and the combinations that they, they played sometimes. I thought it was quite attractive football. But I think, as Barry has already pointed out, in, in retrospect, the key decisions he made during that season were the wrong ones. 
and he had a better chance of staying up had he uh, adopted a different approach, a more conciliatory approach with Mitrovic being the start. So I, I think this idea of him being a bit of a negative character uh, is is not something that has just kind of come out of nothing. But I, 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 I slightly am confused a bit by the... Um, by the the line from the club as well about this being you know a, a development team and uh, that that it's about kind of bringing in young young players and sort of bringing or unheralded talents and, and developing them and and bringing them on, which is obviously a model that a lot of uh, Premier League clubs have. Brighton, and uh, Southampton, off the top of my head, other South Coast vibes. But I, I look at this Bournemouth squad and that doesn't strike me as being the case. It looks a lot more like kind of an odds and sods squad, to be honest. You know, bits of young talent, bits of people who've played in the Premier League before, a couple of overseas signings and a couple of championship signings. And, I, you know, I think ultimately Parker's right in that there's not enough quality amongst that group to really give themselves a good chance of staying up. But, you know, so if you're not going to spend big money, which Bournemouth are patently not, and I don't necessarily think is a bad decision in and of itself because you can get in big trouble if it goes wrong but you need to have a more clearly defined strategy about the way you are approaching your recruitment and building your squad than, than the one I think Bournemouth currently have yeah their owner Maxim Demin said in order for us to keep progressing as a team and a club as a whole it's unconditional that we are aligned in our strategy to run the club sustainably we must also show belief in and respect for one another that is the approach that's brought this club so much success in recent history and one that we will not veer from now our search for a new head coach will begin immediately. Uh, David said, how will Pochettino's Bournemouth line up? John says, should Sean Dyche take the Bournemouth job or wait for Villa, Everton or Leicester? I mean, the thing is, Barry, I, I'm minded to agree with Paul. And I think, you know, you, you, wanna, you don't want to just blow buckets of money because it sometimes doesn't work. But it does mean that this season looks like it's going to be really bleak for them. Yeah, and, and getting promoted while obviously it's cause for celebration, it often works out badly because well Paul will know all about this being a Norwich fan but watching your side get thumped week in week out is no fun and another Norwich supporting friend of mine she just stopped going towards the end of last season because she couldn't be bothered her view was well the players can't be bothered so why should I um so Maybe sometimes you're better off not getting promoted. And in the interview we've done with Gary Neville that hasn't gone out yet, he talks about newly promoted clubs throwing money at it. It doesn't always work out. And then if you go back down again, automatically, it can have catastrophic financial ramifications. So I suppose you need to find some sort of balance. But I suspect... Scott Parker probably didn't mind being sacked that much and might even have wanted to be sacked. Uh, an interesting part of that as well is the discussion of parachute payments. And I suppose that's why you have to get promoted. You know, you, you just cannot afford not to get them. I don't know how you feel, Paul. It, it might be more sensible for the whole pyramid to not have them and to even that money out. But as a Norwich fan, you've benefited... I mean, you've just got so many parachutes in Carrot Road, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, we're we're currently we're we're on the, the we're on a four match winning run, guys, in the championship. It's uh, it's it's heady days again, and everybody's falling back in love with the club. Except they're not quite interesting. There is there is a poisonous hangover from having getting relegated really badly two times. A lot of people are finding it a lot more difficult to trust the team this time. 
But anyway, we've won a four-match beaten one and two of those wins against Sunderland and uh, last night against Birmingham are because we were able to en masse dump Timo Puki, Todd Cantwell, Onel Hernandez, a £9 million Brazilian on the pitch for the last 25 minutes because all of a sudden from having the weakest squad in the Premier League, we've now got riches beyond the dreams of most championship clubs and that's because of parachute payments. But, you know, we, we've, we've been able to keep, you know, we've done really well and to get promoted, but the engine of parachute payments has allowed us to do that, to have that chance, which we've taken, but it's allowed us that chance. So, you know, I, I, I speak a lot with people at the EFL and, you know, that's their main beef for two years now since the pandemic is got to get rid of parachute payments. And I think it's going to happen. I think parachute payments will go. There's going to be some sort of, really intricate, arcane kind of merit-based payment system that's going to come in, uh, come into position where clubs that go down will still get more than clubs lower down the championship, but those championship teams will get more. So it will be, I think, you know, they, they talk a lot about cliff edges. That's the sort of language they like to use. And it's about sort of getting rid of that. We'll see what the what, what happens when it eventually comes out. There's still so much wrangling going on around this and and the, the caveats that come with it. But yeah, I think I think that the time for parachute payments is coming to an end. And it, it has, you know, it has it has sort of really distorted the championship and it's really done nothing, I don't think, about about resolving the competitive imbalance in the Premier League. The only thing that resolves the competitive balance in the Premier League at the moment is getting a billionaire owner. And I'm not sure that's good for the game. Uh, David says, with Scott Parker and now Jack Ross gone, do you think clubs have inserted a Hasenhutl clause into their manager's contracts, leading to automatic termination after a 9-0 defeat? Yet Jack Ross sacked as Dundee United head coach following their 9-0 hammering by Celtic, uh, his seventh game in charge. Um, It was their fifth successive loss. uh, A horrendous run, according to the owner, Mark Ogren, one that included 7-0 European defeat to AZ Alkmaar. Uh, Gavin says breaking news Stoke have given Alex Neal permission to speak to Bournemouth about their managerial vacancy not sure that is strictly accurate you've got Tony Mowbray in at Sunderland Barry I grew up in the northeast, and I always remember my experiences at Roker Park with great fondness the emotion passion and size of Sunderland this is a huge opportunity to continue the good work that has taken place over the past two years I hope the supporters can see that this football club is on its way back um, how how do you feel Barry um it's it's not a particularly sexy appointment, is it? But I I have a lot of regard for Tony Mowbray as as a man and as a manager. He was at Blackburn for a good while and didn't manage to get them promoted, but seemed to steady the ship and then left at the end of his contract last season. I'm perfectly happy with it. I'm not sure how it'll go down at Sunderland, but... Um, I think a lot of people maybe wanted Sean Dyche, but um, Tony will do for me. All right, that will do for part two. Part three, we'll touch on the EFL, do some transfer business and any other business too. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. There is still Football Weekly merch. Uh, Mugs seem to be arriving. Um, as I've been sent a few photos on Twitter and Instagram, my chair slapping chair is outselling Baz, holding up a trainer of his own shit <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. 
Um, what is this world we live in? <laughs> uh, Google Guardian Football Weekly merchandise uh, is the top link on that. Thanks to Jonathan who suggested for our latest merch idea, branded resin for violin bows, given the proportion of professional violinists that listen to Football Weekly. Um, Glenn says, hi Max, has Paul been impressed with the start 20-year-old Irish defender Andrew Omabamedelli has had for Norwich? 90% pass accuracy and a goal versus Birmingham today. Thanks, Max. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's looked good ever since he started. He, he came into the side at the very end of the last championship season. Uh, he played very well in the Premier He was our best defender in the Premier League for like the three of, I think he made two or three appearances, scored a goal against Leeds, got injured for the majority of the season and then came back, was nurtured back this summer and has sort of basically been given uh, the, the nod from Dean Smith to be a regular starter. The thing I'll say about him, I actually thought he he had his toughest game last night. I get up against Troy Deeney. Troy Deeney gave him a bit of a a chasing. He was he was the, the, the sort of the the brains and the brawn were quite a, were a, a unique challenge for him. I think, or probably the toughest he's come up against. So that was interesting to see. But I, I kind of feel what he what marks him out as a Norwich defender is that he doesn't give up mistakes every single game, which is kind of a, like a low bar. But like that's where we are. And you know he's 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 very consistent and very reliable to this to this point in his career, and I think that marks him out as as being a really good prospect. Yeah. Uh, so you're second, like like you say, you've been on this good run. Last time I looked, you were bottom, so that surprised me slightly. Sheffield United at top, they smashed former leaders Reading four nil. Um, Andy says, has anyone at the league's FA thought about what clubs are going to do if electricity and heating bills go up by five thousand percent? Regards, well, I guess floodlights are big, but but other, you know. There's also a lot of heating and lighting around a, a football ground. It's a very good question. Mm. It is, uh, Robin. You you'd said that non-league have already thought about this. Yeah, and I just saw I saw a tweet saying that they are a lot of them are going to kick off when the clocks change, especially because you know it gets dark so early that they they might move to earlier kickoffs so they don't have to use the the floodlights so much. Obviously, it won't if they have a Tuesday night game, but like just having like a, a one o'clock kickoff as opposed to the three o'clock kickoff. But I mean. You know, a lot of their revenue comes from sort of, you know, bar sales and obviously they're going to have to try to keep those going. I, I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to. It's, yeah, no, it's... Um, Sorry, specifically, that's non-league, isn't it? That, that yeah, really yeah. You know, they open the clubhouse and they, they open a, you know, mm. they, they sell a lot of beer and, and things like that and, you know, show Premier League games. And I think it's it's worth really looking into. I think it could it could be pretty devastating. Um, it's interesting to, to move from that to what has been, Paul, quite quite a ridiculous transfer window in terms of how much money has been spent and you know especially during the pandemic and we were you know discussing whether transfer fees would ever be the same again uh, Manchester United have confirmed Anthony uh, initial fee of 81.3 million pounds it will be the fourth most expensive signing in Premier League history scored 22 goals provided 22 assists in 82 games for Ajax I guess it's sensible for Eric Ten Hag to buy players he knows and can work with and I don't know if transfer, you know, saying it's a staggering amount of money, I don't know if it's a relevant question anymore. It's, is he good? Will he fit in? Will he be great? It doesn't matter if he's 80, 60 or 40. Yeah, well, where's he and who's he, who's he going to re- replace? I, I mean, my Leeds mate sent me a, a little graphic showing that Luis Sinistera's figures last year were significantly better than, than Anthony's and he cost a quarter of the price. I do think there's a Manchester United tax that goes on. I don't think this, this summer window has shown them to have kind of had any great awakening or realisation about how to do this thing better. 
But, you know, if, if Eric Ten Hag gets the players he wants and is able to deploy them in the manner that he thinks will, will, will work, then, then maybe they'll get the sort of results on the pitch they need. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the sort of amount of money that's going around is venal that the stuff you see from Barcelona, you know, definitely one of the biggest clubs in the world, arguably the biggest, um, in terms of recent years and the restructuring of their finances they've had to do to make, you know, just to give people a bit of, um, a transfer hit in the summer. It doesn't look sustainable at all. The thing I, the thing I feel about the Premier League, though, doing it is there's going to be a Super League coming again at some point because the Premier League is just blowing everybody else out of the water. And from the Premier League's point of view, there is growth to be had from becoming the world's football competition, you know? And I think that's what they're all these clubs are looking at, all these new owners, all these investors, they want to reach bigger and bigger audiences. So spending that sort of money, having that sort of celebrity in the game might be said to these sort of guys to have value. Um, but everybody else, you know, those that are spending the money in Europe probably can't afford it. It's it's You kind of feel that there's going to be a collapse at some point somewhere, but it doesn't look like it's going to be in the Premier League right now. When and how do you think that the Super League will return? Well, I mean, these guys, um, Juve, Real and Barca are still fighting UEFA in court. Um, there's been a sort of various interpretations on how that might pan out. Uh, and some people think they'll fail. But if they succeed, and their bid is basically to say that, that UEFA can't have a monopoly over... UEFA are currently operating a monopoly over competitions, European-wide competitions, and they shouldn't have that. And other people should be able to start competitions without there being consequences on favourable consequences if they do that then they'll go and try and start another competition because the money's there the bankers want to put it together the logic for a lot of clubs from Celtic and Rangers to PSV to Olympiacos to whoever is you know we to generate the revenue we need to be a biggest club as, as as a lot of what we see in the Premier League or to kind of even be on an even kill with Premier League, we need a different form of competition, one that guarantees us more revenue on a regular basis. That's a Super League. So, you know, whether, you know, which clubs will join it, it may be a fluid thing. It might not be necessarily the tippity top to begin with now because of what the Premier League have managed to extract from all the, the six clubs who walked out saying, you know, you won't do that again, will you? So in the first instance, it might be a different group of clubs, but the, the economic logic, the broadcasting logic is such, it's going to happen in some form. It'd be like the live tour, the live football tour. Well, exactly. You look at the live, you look at the live, live tour is that model. Exactly. It's like you put the money there and you ride it out and you see what sort of carnage you can cause. And then let's see who comes out the winner. Oh, it all sounds bright and breezy. Sounds something fun to cover in a few years' time. We're all still here. Uh, Harry Winks is in Italy to sign for Sampdoria on loan, um, which I guess is a chance to revive his career. Um, you know, it's another one of those players. He was man of the match at the Bernabeu in the Champions League a few years ago. And then it just sort of frittered a bit. It was in Southgate's plans, wasn't he? Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi has gone to buy a Leverkusen. Um, Fulham want Willian. be nice to have Willian back in the Premier League. Um, Adam says, is Christian Benteke to DC United the transfer most likely to pass the panel by? Barry, is that your first uh, first time you've heard it? Or have I mentioned it to you on this? Well, I saw that tweet and uh, that was the first I'd heard of it. I, I didn't realise. I thought he was still at Palace. How, was he still <laughs> at Palace or had he left? Was he a free agent? It's a very good question. I don't have the time or the inclination to care. 
Um, <laughs> thereby proving no. the, the, the listener's point. <laughs> um, the Paul Pogba story is sort of taking, you know, is there are different bits coming out every day, it seems, and get French football news that are sort of pulled together of it. Uh, Matthias Pogba saying, affirms that his brother has spent millions of euros during his career on witchcraft, largely to try to prevent himself getting injured, which has not worked. So, as, you know, as Barney said, whatever the rights and wrongs, he definitely needs a better witch doctor, Paul Pogba, for, for that. I, I, slightly, I'm, slightly, I'm not sure how... Is it something you... I mean, obviously, there are parts of this story, Barry, you, you have to take incredibly seriously. And I don't know if... There, I don't know if... It's just not an area that I know anything about, whether it, you can joke about witch doctors or not, or if that is really a... I I I feel exactly the same. I mean, if I heard there there's a suggestion that he's also asked his witch doctor to, you know, make sure that uh, Kylian Mbappe gets bad juju and again, <laughs> I would say the witch doctor has come up short there. But um, <laughs> I I it's Dr. Nick from the Simpsons, isn't it? Hi everybody. <laughs> But I, I don't know if it's very insensitive to no, have this discussion. I, I, I just don't know. I, I agree with you because, look, if, if I heard someone had hired a witch doctor to, to give me bad juju, I would find it hilarious. But other people, it could be a very serious matter for them. And according to Get French Football News, uh, Kylian Mbappe is reported to be keeping an eye on the case with his entourage from a distance. Whatever you know your view on the matter, it doesn't bode well for... France in the World Cup, does it? If if there's going to be more dressing room squabbling uh, among their players, we've seen them collapse mm. at a World Cup before and basically go on strike. But uh, yeah, it it would be interesting to see how this pans out. I, I don't know if anyone has seen the uh, Antoine Griezmann story. Uh, this is Colin Miller's tweet saying that Atletico Madrid have a compulsory clause to buy Antoine Griezmann permanently from Barcelona. It's based on the percentage of games where he plays 30 minutes or more when available to play. He's been subbed on in the 62nd, 62nd and 65th minute (laughs) this season. Uh, (laughs) Just waiting for that clock to tick over and then on he comes. Um, Spare a thought for Grantham Town FC, whose match on Monday afternoon was called off due to an ongoing issue with chafer grubs on the pitch. The insects are crows' favourite things to eat, and they have decimated the pitch. They are now crowed funding. It's their joke to get their playing surface fixed. Uh, so good luck to Grantham. Uh, John says, keep up the excellent work. All Max, I agree that McDonald and Dodds is a great detective show. I played in the same school football team as DS Dodds, Jason Watkins. He was a talented player, nice bloke, and crime didn't get a look in on his watch. Don't listen to Wilson or Barry, he says. Um, uh, David says, would Barry be more concerned for his own personal safety if there was one cheetah-sized squirrel or 10 squirrel-sized cheetahs living on his neighbor's roof um you have learned a lot about cheetahs since we last discussed cheetahs on this pod barry yeah when, so when we were discussing benin changing their nickname from the the squirrels to the cheetahs i sort of suggested cheetahs weren't all that and was shouted down i'm going to say and then afterwards on the very day there seemed to be a lot of cheetah related tweets going around and I discovered that they are, in fact, quite wussy. Some of them need 
companion dogs, baby cheeses, little Labrador puppies to keep them company. And when you hear a a, a baby cheese... Not in the wild. Not in the wild. No, in captivity. <laughs> like, and, right, uh, yes. <laughs> when you hear a baby cheetah, you know, do what passes for a roar, it it's, it sounds really... It's like a kitten uh, mewing. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, so I, I'm saying they should have... Squirrels seem to be more streetwise and... and Fair enough. Yeah. So what's the answer then, Barry? Answer the question. Oh, um, I would rather be attacked by one cheetah-sized squirrel. All right. Okay. Despite the fact you think that the cheetah is a is a, is a lame duck of the big five. <laughs> I mean, it was... I did miss that episode of the Blue Planet or whatever, or, you know, David Attenborough's Africa with the, the, all the cheetahs in the Serengeti being led around by Labradors. It's a guy see their prey. Hey, it feels like we've finished, doesn't it, everybody? Um, uh, thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Uh, cheers, Paul. Thank you. Cheers, Robin. Thanks, Max. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Lucy Oliva. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 